Okay, great. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 8. Exodus chapter 8, we're continuing, of course, our study of the book of Exodus, and it's actually called the book of redemption. Now, in this section, here's what we're seeing. Uh, We're seeing God's judgment on the nation of Egypt, their king, which is called, of course, Pharaoh, and their false gods. That's what we're seeing in the book. God brings judgment on these people so that they would know, basically, that they would know that he is the Lord, that he is the true God. Now, what we did last week, we saw the beginning of the plagues as most... And they returned. Basically, the first thing was the river Nile was turned to blood. And we're going to talk a little bit more about it. You should, hopefully, you got the handout when you came in. There are two different ones. One is just kind of a picture aspect of the ten plagues. The other is a blue one, which lists the ten plagues and shows you a little pattern. We'll talk more about the pattern in just a minute and so how those fit together as well. We saw the beginning of those plagues. We realized that each of these plagues is actually a, a judgment. God brings a judgment on the gods of Egypt, and that's what they are. This evening, the plays continue. It, it, we see that God's dealing with Pharaoh. Pharaoh continues to harden his heart. We're going to see it'll take all the way up till about the fifth plague, and all the way up, it's, it's Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart. It's not until the fifth or sixth plague in which it says God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And we'll talk about that as we get to it. As we see this passage, we see the pride of Pharaoh and the sovereignty of God. There's some great things. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get right into the study. Let's pray. pray. Heavenly Father, what a great, great night. Thank you, Lord, for the fun that we have as we come together, as we study the Scripture, as we look at truths from your Word. Thank you for the great meal for all those who fixed it and, and uh, took care of it and handed it out and did all those things back over there. Thank you for being able to come and have a great meal. Thank you, Lord, as we come together, we get to study the Bible. And, Lord, we do not take it for granted that you have allowed us to have the written revelation that you you have given to us that we can know and apply and pass on to others and learn from. And Lord, we know the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our instructions. So we just ask you, Lord, that you would teach us, help us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Teach us now, Lord, as we study. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we know we live in a fallen world. We look around and we see things don't get better. They just seem to get worse and worse. In truth, there is sin and darkness and death, but we have the great hope, and the hope, of course, is our Savior, Jesus Christ, the hope of eternal life in Christ. We belong to him. How? Simply by faith. We trust in him who died and rose again, and he gives to us eternal life, and that's life forever with him. As those who belong to Jesus Christ, we're in a battle. It's a spiritual battle. Uh, Ephesians 5 tells us we're not, but people aren't the enemy, and our uh, the people that we're fighting are not people. It's, it's, it's not, the enemy that we're fighting is not people. We're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against principalities. Uh, it's an angelic battle. There is a battle going on that we could say that's really between a good and evil and God and the devil and light and darkness and life and death and children of God and children of the devil as it all ties together. And it all goes back to the beginning. When sin entered the whole universe, and that is when the fallen angel, Lucifer, of course, as an angel rebelled against the Almighty God. There's sometimes a misunderstanding. I want you to understand that, that, that sometimes people think there's two powerful, one good and one evil, two powerful beings, one good and one evil in opposition to the other. Because you'll hear, well, there's the good and the evil, there's God and there's the devil, and, and that God wins, but, but it's, a, it's a tremendous struggle. And I realize that this is not true. God deals with Satan, and when God deals with Satan, it is not a battle. It will be over just like that. God is the perfect God. He is the creator. Satan is an angel. He is a created being. When God speaks, it's all over. As Luther wrote, one little word shall fail him. Uh, I like to put it this way. Uh, God versus Satan is not a toss-up. It's not even close. God is the creator. Satan is the created one. Satan only does what God allows 
God allows Satan to be the prince of the power of the air and the God of this age. That's how the Bible puts it. As we look at the confrontation between Moses, between Moses and Aaron and the Pharaoh, it, it looks like, you might say, a battle of the gods of Egypt and the God of Israel. But if you look closely, there's no battle going on. There's no battle going on. God's in control. He's working all events according to the counsel as will. He is showing Pharaoh that he is all-powerful, and he does what he pleases. Went from the river to the frogs to, to even his Pharaoh's son. He shows, God shows that they aren't gods. There's only one true God, and that's the God of Israel. God deals with Egypt so that they would know him. He's the all-powerful God. I like to think of it this way. Nothing is too big for God to do and nothing too little for him to use to do it. He can do anything he chooses to do. This evening, we're looking at Exodus chapter 8, and we're just going to look at the first 19 verses. We'll go fairly quickly through it, but we're going to continue seeing God's judgment on Egypt, and we're going to see two more of the plagues. Now, last time we realized that, last time we saw the first of the ten plagues, and that was when he changed, when uh, God basically changed the river Nile to blood. And each of the plagues is a judgment on one of the gods of Egypt. And let me just show you on the two handouts. One, of course, is the ten plagues, and you see the water to blood, and then the frogs, and then the, the gnats and the flies and the disease and the livestock and the boils and then the hell and the fire and the locusts and, the, and darkness and then finally the death of the firstborn. That's the ten plagues. All of them are against the gods of Egypt. And also on this other one, we list all ten of them and I'm going to show you a pattern in just a minute. But you can see the god Egypt's gods that are challenged as you go down that. And so <laughs> there's a lot of information there. And maybe if you've never thought about it, but each one is a plague, or each one is a judgment on Egypt's gods, and there is a pattern, and we'll see it in just a few minutes. What is the purpose of the plagues? Why would God bring this on Egypt? Well, first of all, it's a judgment of the false gods. In fact, in Exodus twelve twelve, let me just read that to you, just so you can see it. Listen to this, Exodus 12, verse 12, he says, for, <clears throat> for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night. I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. So the thing you have to realize is that all these are gods. These, they're false gods. And it's judgment on these false gods. Now, there is a false system. I want you to understand that in the, in the world, there is a false system, false gods, false message, false servants. You understand that there's only one God. And anything else, there is no other gods. However, mankind chooses to say, well, that's a, that's a god. Or, and so there are false gods out there that people worship all over the world. There are false messengers. They come as angels of light. You know, a false, there's a false message, which, uh, which is a message of works. Listen, in any religion that you find in the world... It will always be man trying to do something to get to God. That's what religion is. True Christianity is not a religion. True Christianity is God-pleasing God. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son to whoever believes as eternal life. So it is God doing it all. In religion, it is man trying to do something to get to God. There's false gods, false message, and false servants. Now, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go keep keep stay on that and false servants and and so they come as messengers of life so one of the purposes of the judgments on the god of egypt is to judge basically the judgment of the false gods the second is that they so that they would know the true god that he is the lord in in exodus chapter 7 verse 5 he says the egyptians shall know that i am the lord when i stretch out my hand on egypt and bring out the sons of israel from their midst he also says in 822 which is in the chapter we're in now 
now. He says, But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people are living. And it says, goes on to say, That you may know that I am the Lord. So one of the purposes of the judgments is so that Egypt, not only the judgment on their gods, but to, for they would know the true God. I think the third thing has to do with the punish Pharaoh because of the cruelty to his own people. And I'm talking about to God's people. The killing of the children and the slavery. And think of all the things that he did after he put them in slaves. And then they <coughs> killed them. And all of those kind of things tie together. Now, I want to show you something. If you've never noticed this, there is a pattern of the plagues. And it goes in threes. The pattern of the plagues, he goes in the morning, then a plague. Then he goes to Pharaoh, then a plague. Then there's no warning and a plague. If you take the blue one, notice the blue sheet, the blue handout. Notice one, two, three. In the morning to Pharaoh, number two to Pharaoh, number three, no warning. Then you know, morning to Pharaoh, Pharaoh in the palace, no warning. In the morning, Pharaoh in the Nile, Pharaoh in the palace, no warning. So you find there's three, three, and three, and they all have the same pattern. He goes in the morning, the second one he goes to Pharaoh, the third one, no warning. Then the next one, and so it, it, there's a pattern that God has when he's dealing with them. Now, we saw the very first one already, and, of course, what you find is that in the morning... He went out, and we're going to see the fourth one is in the morning, and, and, and on, so on and so forth. And so there's the pattern. One by one, God is destroying the gods of Egypt and showing that he indeed is God. We realize that the final plague, which is the tenth one, you've got a three, three, and three, and then that last one is unique and different. It's the death of the firstborn. So we'll see how that ties together. Let's begin, and let me give you a, a kind of a, a breakdown. One through fifteen. In this, morning, this evening's passage, 1 through 15 is the plague of the frogs, and that's the second plague. And then 15 through 19, which is we're just going to go through these two, is the plague of the gnats, and that is the third plague. So we're going to see the second and the third plagues. We saw the first plague last time. When challenged by God, what does Pharaoh do? He has pride. He says he will not let the people go. He says, I do not know the Lord. Why should I listen to him? <clears throat> if he lets... The nation of Israel go, he will be saying that I believe that the God of Israel is more powerful than I am. That's what he's really saying. There's pride there. He refuses to admit that the God of Israel is the true God. Now, it, think about this, pride. What caused the fall of Satan? Pride. What caused the fall of man? Pride. It's all the way through. And it's in all of us. And there's an old saying that says a man is usually is usually as young as he feels, but seldom as important as he feels. Okay? And that's true. There are some people who refuse to believe in Jesus Christ as Savior because they say, I'm not that bad, or I don't need it, or I can do it myself, or I don't need a Savior. Uh, it has to be more than that. I have to do my part. As we see Pharaoh, pride stands out. Even, and, and the problem is that, uh, I think the next slide shows it, it, that Pharaoh wants to be in control. Notice, and without looking at the verses, in 825, Pharaoh says, Okay, I'll let you go worship, but you have to worship in this land. No. Okay, I'll let you go worship, but you can take none of your children. No. Well, I'll let you go worship, but you can't take your flocks. No. See, the bottom line is, Moses says, God said for us to go. He didn't say leave the kids behind. He didn't say leave the flocks behind. He didn't say stay in, in Egypt. He said for us to go. And we're going to see as we look at this, it's a very powerful thing. Over and over, uh, there's that power. You know, uh, Pharaoh wants to be in control. The same thing happens to us. We trust Jesus Christ as Savior, but we still want to be in control. We say, I'm going to leave my life the way I kind of want to live my life. I mean... You know, to me, and we've talked about this a lot of times, 
There are a lot of people who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior. It costs you absolutely nothing. It's a gift. But there are not a lot of people who choose to live for Jesus Christ. That's called discipleship. Because to choose to live for Jesus Christ, you're actually saying, is I give up my life to you, and you tell me what to do and where to go. I offer my life as a living sacrifice. That's the difference. Well, let's see the plagues. Let me remind you of last time he turned the river to blood. It was a judgment on the Nile, which was one of their gods, to show that God is all-powerful. The Nile, basically he says, I want you to understand, the Nile is a river. That's just water. It's not God. Pharaoh had a hard heart. Now, look at the cycle again. The first plague, in the morning, river of blood. Second plague comes to Pharaoh, most likely the palace. Third plague, no warning. You're going to see all the way through that cycle of threes. Notice chapter 8. Look at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh. This is, this is the second one. See, the first one is go in the morning. The second one is go to Pharaoh. So the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Now let me ask you a question. Who is the nation of Israel serving now? I'm talking about in this passage. I don't mean now. Um, okay. In this passage, who are they serving? Huh? I don't know if they're serving false gods. I don't know. Who are they serving? The Pharaoh, which in a sense is a false god. I mean, so what does God say? Let my people go that they may what? Serve me. You see the contrast? God is saying to Pharaoh, you think you're a god, and my people are slaves in your land. They are going to leave so they serve me and not you. And remember in the passage, notice it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, and it's capital L-O-R-D, all capitals. That's the personal name of God. Then he says, Thus says the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, all capitals, personal name of God. That's in chapter 8, verse 1. He's, he's giving his personal name. Let my people go that they may serve me, not you, Pharaoh. And then notice, if, But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. You can see Pharaoh going, ooh, that's scary. Ooh, that's scary frogs. Yeah, oh, yeah, you really scared me. You know, um, I want you to think about frogs for just a second. The, the Hebrew word frog is current, but there was the goddess called Hek, which was a go- the Egyptian goddess, a goddess of fertility, woman's body, frog's head. Very attractive, right? I mean, think about that, right? Woman's body, frog's head. That, that was a goddess of fertility. And so when he said, I'm going to bring frogs here, that, that was uh, a slap in their face. They said, oh, yeah, we'll just bring a bunch of frogs because y'all think a frog is a god. You think a frog is a god. He says in verse 3, the, ter- the Nile will swarm with frogs which will come up and go into your house and into your bedroom and on your bed and into the house of your servants and on your people and into the ovens and into your kneeling bowl, kneading bowls. Let me think about this. Frogs are going to be everywhere. I mean, you... You're walking and all you're doing is stepping on frogs. I mean, your guts are, you know, you, you go, oh my gosh. And, and you go home and on your bed are frogs all over the bed and you, and you go and you, you, you open up your oven and there are frogs all in the oven and there's, you know, you look at the bowl on the counter and there's frogs in everything, everywhere you can look. There's frogs. A guy named Harry Rim gave this description. He says, like a blanket of filth, the slimy wet frogs covered the land until men were sickened as the continual squashing crunch into their feet as they walked. Everywhere they turned and if they slipped and fell they fell into a mass 
of uncleanliness. I mean, just think, you know, we think of soul frogs. Think about the whole room covered in frogs. They're just jumping everywhere and croaking. They're all over everything. You can't, you know, you're going, you can't walk, you can't. I mean, think what it was like. You know, we just thought, well, a couple of frogs. No, not a couple of frogs. A couple of million frogs, you know, millions and millions. The whole, he says, so frogs will come up on you, verse 4, and your people and all your servants. I mean, they're coming everywhere. So then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron. Remember, we talked about this last week. If you think of movies, you think it's Moses with the big rod, and Moses is doing everything. Aaron's got the rod. And what did God say? The Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the streams, over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Stretch it out. Well, watch what happened. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. I mean, think what that's like now. I mean, you know, you, you got a picture that where as far as you could see, everything's covered with frogs. You're not going to want the goddess of fertility frog around much anymore after this, right? I mean, just think about it. There's frogs everywhere. But notice verse 7. The magicians did the same thing with their secret arts, making frogs come up out of the land of Egypt. I don't think that's a big deal at all. The frogs are already coming up out of the land of Egypt. I mean, if, if they were really going to do something, why don't they make the frogs go away? If they really have the power, make the frogs go away, not give more frogs. And notice what Pharaoh does. He doesn't turn to his magicians and say, get rid of the frogs. What does he do? Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord. Now notice, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He uses the personal name of God. You entreat the Lord that he remove the frogs from me and from my people. Now watch. And I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Wow. Man, it didn't take, but what? Is that, that's plague, what, number two? There's nothing to it, man. Just to give him a few frogs and he'll be gone, right? He'll he'll cave. He'll cave. That's what it looks like. Now, notice he didn't ask his own people to get rid of the frogs. He asked Moses and Aaron to get rid of the frogs. Notice what he said. Entreat the Lord that he remove the frogs. He, he knows where it's from. He knows. Pharaoh didn't turn to the musicians. He knew that God of Israel was responsible for the frogs. Now watch Moses. Moses said to Pharaoh... The honor is yours to tell me. When shall I entreat for you and your servants and your people that the frogs be destroyed from you and your houses, that they may be left only in the Nile? He said, I'm going to tell you what, I'll give you the privilege. The honor is yours. You tell us when you want the frogs to disappear. You get to say when they leave. I want you to realize this is to show that, that this is not chance. God is in control. He's the one bringing the judgment. Moses is saying, just so you know, this is all from God. I will let you decide when they disappear. Because as soon as you say when you want them to disappear, I'll tell God. And, and you know, and God will do it. This is not an accident. Now watch. If you're Pharaoh, what would you say right then? What would you normally say? Right now. Get these things out of here now. Look what he says. Then he said, tomorrow, tomorrow. 
So he said, may it be according to your word, now this is what, may it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. Now, let's ask a question. Why would Pharaoh say tomorrow? Why would he wait to the next day? Well, maybe he hoped that the plague would not end by itself tomorrow. And so he would say, that's not from God, because you said tomorrow, and it didn't end. Or maybe he was hoping the plague would not end and show that Moses didn't have the power. You know, Or maybe he would say, maybe they'll stop at a different time, and then I could say, that must not be your God, because it stopped at a different time. He's just hoping somehow it wouldn't look like God really did it. But guess what's going to happen? What do you think? When do you think they're going to end? Tomorrow. Yeah, look at verse 12. Or look at verse 11. He said, The frogs will depart from you and your houses and your servants and your people, and they will be left only in the Nile. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had inflicted upon Pharaoh. Moses went out and cried to the Lord, Watch. The Lord did according to the word of Moses. Remember, Moses said, Pharaoh, you get to name it. Pharaoh said, tomorrow, God went out and told the Lord, the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, the courts, and the fields. So they piled them in heaps in the land, and the land became foul. Can you imagine giant stacks of dead frogs? Just giant stacks. Just piles of frogs everywhere you look. You know, you're walking, but there's just piles of frogs. It probably smelled great, didn't it? It smelled horrible. It says, so they piled them in heaps, notice, and the land became foul. One, uh, I think uh, some of the other translations says the land reeked. You know, just horrible. You could say, uh, I believe that's one of your gods in those piles over there. I believe it's one of your gods. Now, if you're not careful, remember, one of your gods just turned to blood and you couldn't even drink it. One of your gods is just piled up in big piles and you're sort of glad that they're gone. The entire land of Egypt had Jesuit. Let me ask you something. Do you think that frogs, because the nation of Israel is living in, the, the Jewish slaves are living in a section called Goshen. Do you think frogs covered Goshen? They did. Covered the entire land. Covered everything. If you're Jewish, what do you think about frogs? You're saying, I'm sick of these frogs. Moses, would you do something? He said, I'm, I'm leaving it up to Pharaoh to make a decision here. All right? What did Pharaoh say in verse 8? I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. What does he say in verse 15? But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not listen to them as the Lord had said. See, what did God tell Moses and Aaron when they went to talk to Pharaoh? They said, you'll go talk to Pharaoh, but Pharaoh's heart will be hard and he will not let you go until I bring judgment on the land of Egypt. So what happens? He's bringing that. It was the second judgment. And Pharaoh said, oh, listen, if you'll get these frogs out of here, I'll let you go. Got the frogs out. And he said, nah, I changed my mind. I changed my mind. Changed my mind. Now, you remember the cycle? The first time in the morning, second one to the Pharaoh, the third one, there's no warning. Moses and Aaron does not go to Pharaoh and say, here's the third plague. Notice verse 
uh, th- th- let's see, I think I've got, yeah, the next plague comes on Pharaoh and Egypt, no warning for Moses or God. Look at verse 16. The Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, and cements Aaron with the thing, stretch out your staff, strike the dust to the earth that it may become gnats or some kind of lice, some kind of little bugs through all the land of Egypt. Now he said, strike the dust, strike the dirt, and when you strike the ground, this dust as it comes up, these little gnats are going to come up. Best we can understand, they were these little winged flying insects, some little bugs, little bugs, and they bite you. And, and notice it said they, they strike the dust of the ground so that the gnats may come up. And now the best we can tell, this one, the dust of the ground, the god of the ground, god of the earth for the Egyptians was Seb. And so what they're saying is, from one of your gods, you got bugs. And not just any bugs, these are biting little bugs. They'll bite all over you, and here they come. And so it says, stretch out your staff, strike the dust of the earth, that it may become gnats of all the land. They did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff, struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats through all the land of Egypt. Now, if you've ever been somewhere... Uh, and there's little bugs all around your face. You know, you're going, get the, golly, you can't hardly do anything because you're out here trying to watch a ball game and these little bugs are all over you. And you're, you're, what if it was thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of them on everybody and every animal and everything? They're just there. And the people are just, you can't even look, can't look, you can't walk. There's, these bugs are everywhere, right? Think about this. It said, all the dust of the earth, earth became gnats through all the land of Egypt. What about Jewish people? What about Jewish people living in Goshen? You know what they're doing? They're going, golly, man, these bugs are everywhere. Somebody needs to talk to Moses and Aaron about this thing. This is killing us too. They were everywhere. Notice verse 18. The magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats. They couldn't do it. So there were gnats on man and beast. Now, this is the first time that supposedly though their tricks didn't really work. And I think if I was Pharaoh, I'd say, please don't try to make any gnats. I mean, don't you think we have enough of them? You know, when the river turned to blood, the magician said, we got more blood. And he went, thanks. That's, that's all we needed. We already had blood. And then when you had all these frogs, the magician said, we got more frogs. And then, thank you a lot. Now you got gnats, but they couldn't make up the gnats. And look what they say. The magicians said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. This is from God. Now, this is from God. So you'd think Pharaoh might go, Okay, okay, I guess there's no playing around now. I mean, this really is from God. What does he do? But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. He didn't listen. He said, I don't care. I don't care. Now, you know, what's, what's really funny about this, it, it doesn't show us an ending of this. And we don't know how long it lasted. We don't know how long all the plagues last. It, it seems to me that that they probably it probably is three to four months. It's probably the season, probably the spring season when, when all of this happened because the very last plague is Passover time, which would be March, April, or March or April. So we don't know how long all this is happening. It It doesn't say here. There was no warning to start this plague. It doesn't say there's an ending. I'm not saying it kept going on. I just think it ended because you go on to verse 20 and notice we're going to start the next cycle. What was the next cycle? How does it start? What does it say? 
They have to go in the morning. Look at verse 20. Now the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning. This is going to start the next cycle, and there's going to be three more plagues. And what we'll do next week is we'll see the next three plagues. And it's the same cycle. In the morning, number two to Pharaoh, number three, no warning. And we're going to see that three times God deals with the Egyptians before he gets to the last one. And so he's, he's dealt with the, the, the Nile, which is one of their gods, and he's dealt with that. He's dealt with the frog, which is the goddess Hept, which is one of their god, goddesses, and then he's dealt with Seb, the god of the earth. So far, he has shown of three of their main gods that uh, you're not gods. The Nile is a river. A frog is a frog. A bug is a bug. The ground is just dirt. So just remember that. I made it all. I'm in control. I am the L-O-R-D, the Lord, the personal name of God, the everlasting, all-powerful, eternal God. Pharaoh, at this point, refuses to recognize God's power and authority. Even when he knows that God is in control, he hardens his heart. Listen, every time he's called him and said, stop it. Tell, tell, your, tell the Lord to stop it. He knows who's doing it. He knows what's going on. What have we seen? We've seen that God brings judgment on Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt. And we see frogs and gnats tonight. We see the goddess of fertility and the god of the earth. We've seen Pharaoh's response. He says, first of all, I let the people go. No, I've changed my mind. Hard-hearted. We see the pride of Pharaoh and the power of God. And we see the sovereignty of God as he works in all events. Let me give you a couple of applications just to think about. The first one is realize the problem with pride. Think about it. Pharaoh's pride, he would not listen to the true God. Pride always destroys. Don't harden our hearts. The true heart of the heart is worse, is much worse than hardening of the arteries. You know, let's think about it. I read this the other day, talking about pride. A rabbi and a New England pastor were talking. And the pastor said that one of his ancestors, he's privately said, one of my ancestors signed the Declaration of Independence. And the rabbi said, one of my ancestors signed the Ten Commandments. <laughs> Realize the problem with pride. Whether it's salvation or daily living, it's not based on us. It's based on God. We come to God for salvation, not on our terms. We come realizing that we've sinned and we've come short of the glory of God and there's not one thing we could ever do to measure up. There's not one thing that we could do to gain salvation. And in a sense, we come in humility and say, I must trust in Jesus and Him alone. It's not me at all. And then in the Christian life, we don't say, I'm going to make it. We say, it is your power through us based on the Word of God, a walk of faith in the power of the Holy Spirit based on the Word of God. There's no pride ever in anything that we can ever do. If we think that we are doing something great for God, me and us, we're mistaken. We're mistaken. If you get a chance to teach and somebody comes up and says, great job, say, Grace of God is God. Just, just All we are is instruments. We can never say, yeah, yeah, I'm doing it. It's God through you. But there's no pride involved in all in the salvation and in the daily lives, whether it's through, through Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, or the fact that he is the power as we seek to live for him. The second application, just I think about this, is trust in the true God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's only one true God. 
I mean, you look at Egypt and they have all these gods. And you look in the world today and there's countries and nations and people groups and they've got goddesses and gods and everything else. And they're still there. I've told you all this story and it's old and, and I, I know and I'm not seen all because I know I've told it before. But I want you to know that I remember one time that Gene and I, when we lived on the other side of town, we were looking at a house on this side of town. It's been a long time ago, maybe 20 20 years ago, and we this family, we, we got a call, and they said, you, you, you can come look at the house. So we got to their house, and the people, I think, were, were not from this country, and they started showing us around. They had a little boy, and the little boy was about this tall, and they were showing us the rooms, and I felt this pulling on my pants, and I looked down, and this little boy looked at me and said, would you like to see my God? And I went, what? You know what? He said, would you like to see my God? And we, I said, yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. And so we went into his bedroom, and there was a thing like a little house. And it had a little door right there, and there was a little a statue in there. And he said, that's his God. I went, well, good. I said, don't break him. <laughs> don't break him. There is only one God, and there's only one Savior, Jesus Christ. And he is the sovereign ruler of all things. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. He is the one that saves us. He is the one that gives us eternal life. He is the one that controls all things. And when you look at the book of Exodus, you see the true God demonstrating judgment on Egypt. And we look at life, we see the true God working all things according to the counsel of his will. Trust the true God. I hope and pray, and I know almost every one of you, so I hope and pray that everyone in this room, that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. He's the only way that we can be saved. It's not our works, our goodness, our righteousness. It's faith alone in Christ alone. Trust in him daily. Not only trust in him for salvation, but trust in him daily. He is our God. May we turn from our pride and trust in the true God not only for salvation, which I hope and pray all of us have done, but daily resting and trusting in the one who works all things according to his plan. Let's pray, and then we'll have some open up for any questions. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you, Lord, for showing us your power and your majesty as, as we realize that uh, there's only one God and only one Savior. Lord, as we look at this, we see pride. We see Pharaoh thinking he's a god and th that Pharaoh thinks that, that he can, can do something against the true God when he actually knows that this true God is doing all of this. Lord, thank you that you're a God, that you love us, that you're the creator, redeemer, sustainer, provider, protector. You're everything. Lord, I pray that all of us in this room, that we have trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior and we have eternal life. And then I pray, Lord, that we'll all trust you daily, day in and day out, as a walk of faith as we receive Christ Jesus, Lord, so we walk in faith and may we do that lord may we live for you and make an impact for you thank you lord for our study help us now as we continue lord to look at your word and grow in the grace and knowledge of our savior use us lord as we scatter into this community to take the message of jesus christ to a lost world use us lord for your glory we ask this in jesus name amen